0: Living Wisely, Living Well, February 11th. To be fully aware, look for the hidden reality behind all appearances. Well, short and sweet, and a whole lifetime of study here, isn't it? I have a very vivid memory of being 10 years old. Uh, This experience that happened when I was 10 years old. My family was living in El Paso, Texas, um, 3809 Hillcrest Drive, It was sort of it was a hill, slanting up the hill like that. Our house was right here, and there was a neighbor who was um, not directly across the street, but just one house over. Across, we had big picture windows in that house, and I remember standing at that window and watching him mow his lawn. And uh, he probably, maybe, had an electric, maybe he had a push mower. When I was ten, that would have been 1957, and I just remember standing a long time watching him push. The mower and I didn't particularly know him. I, we weren't—we'd only been in that neighborhood for a short while, and our friends in the neighborhood were not. There probably were no children in that house, so I didn't know anyone there. I don't know why I chose that moment, and he, that man really had nothing to do with it. But I was concerned about the meaning of life, and I—I I didn't have sophisticated concepts. So I'm going to put more sophisticated concepts on it as I explain it now than I was actually able to think of at the age of 10. But this is precisely what I was doing. I was just looking out at this suburban street, perfectly ordinary suburban street, and I was already a little bit concerned about what I was going to do with my life because nothing around me really seemed worth dedicating my life to. And I had a feeling even at that age of I was very. I I had a feeling of the potential of life, that that it was, it was necessary. It wasn't even that it was possible. It was essential, to to do something with one's life that actually had meaning, and I wasn't at all sure what I was going to find because nothing that had been recommended to me had any um, power to hold me. I was I was very school smart. Of course, I was only ten you know, the idea of specific, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, you can be a college professor, that would come a little later, but it was all out there. And and none of it attracted me. And I remember staring out the window just slightly to the left, looking at that man pushing his lawnmower. And I had the distinct impression that the world I was looking at was a veil, and that there was another reality behind it. and And it was possible to penetrate through the veil and see the reality behind it. So I was I was pushing, that's how I think of it now, I felt like I was pushing with my consciousness, like just trying to, by sheer force of will, to, to, to make the scene in front of me part so I could see what was going on really behind it. And of course, it didn't work. But the amazing thing is, you know, when, when I look back I'm 73 now so this was more than 60 years ago it was such a vivid feeling in that moment of the reality of it that all these years later it's just right there with me you know I didn't I didn't see an angel I didn't have an experience of god but there was some power of truth that was motivating me and I I don't remember I remember being disappointed I don't remember being anguishingly disappointed but just frustrated That I couldn't get there, and then of course I went back to being a child because these are just like intermittent moments. I remember another. These are all very. It's very interesting when you're an adult to actually see what you remember, like which pieces do you remember. Most of my vivid memories have to do with some philosophical or what I see now as some spiritual reality. But I actually have a handful of memories, so most of it is not vivid. But when I was about twelve or thirteen and uh, we started having dances, boy-girl dances. And they would be in somebody's house, somebody's basement, and, you know, the parents would be there and the records would play and that sort of thing. And I was not popular with the boys. Um, I, I wanted to be, everybody wants to be, or maybe not everybody, but I did. But I wasn't. I was skinny. I didn't, my friends were like fully developed women by that age. And I was still, I could have passed for seven probably. I was just A tiny little stick of a thing, and I just couldn't attract any boy at all. And I remember just sort of sitting there in the darkened room, and nobody was asking me to dance. And I was feeling a little badly for myself, but I realized I felt I felt this inner. um, I had an inner dialogue, and I feel like it was a dialogue, maybe with my higher self, or maybe with somebody else, (laughs) like my guru or someone that I hadn't yet met. Um, and it was the voice was, I could make you popular, you know, but to make you popular, um, I would have to take away certain qualities from you, and I knew those qualities were um the most important part of me, but because of that i was I was out of tune with my peers and I was out of tune with my time. This is also while I was still in Texas when I got to California, things got a little. I found more more of my own people. When I got to California and Texas, there weren't any, or I hadn't met any. But I remember I remember being given a choice. Maybe it was Satan who was talking to me. Satan said, you know, you could sacrifice a lot of yourself, and then you could have these other things. What do you want? And I, I remember it was no contest. I would rather just sit alone by myself and have nobody be interested in me than... Um, become like them, even though they weren't bad. It's just, I was not like them and I knew it. And that was why I was alone. And I just, without hesitation. But isn't that interesting, you know, that, that moments like that would come? Now I'm going to talk about um, the first time I took LSD, which was uh, like 1965, it would have been. I was, um, I was an early adopter and it was right after I went to Stanford, and it was all just coming in. I was never big into drugs. You know, it was part of the world that I lived in, so I I took some, you know, did some of that, and did some of marijuana. But I, I loved my mind, and I loved clarity of mind. And I quickly realized that those substances just muddied the water, and so i just didn't enjoy it there came a point where i realized every time i ingested or took anything all i did was wait for it to wear off and I, I thought yeah you know, this is like really dopey to do something that you just want to be over like why are you doing it so that was pretty much the end of that but and even swami kriyananda admits this i have to say this you know because a lot of a lot of people were turned towards spirituality by drug-induced psychedelic experiences. And actually, I guess you would have to say I was too, because what happened when I took that dose of whatever I took, LSD, well, I know what it was, but you don't know what you're taking. Um, What happened to me is what I had been trying to make happen when I was 10 years old which is, I remember that the world began to fracture in front of my eyes. And it's so weird for those of you who've never... People drink alcohol all the time and their perception of reality shifts, but um, it's, it's not as radical as what happens if you take a strong psychedelic. Because when you take a strong psychedelic, the, the material world just fractures into fragments of light. At least that's what happened to me. And it was exactly what I had been trying to make happen, which the material veil separated. It fractured into pieces of light, and then those pieces of light just sort of merged into this greater light. And the, the material world more or less went away. I, it, well, I don't remember the experiences being transcendent. In fact, I don't even think I enjoyed it very much. Um, it was a long time ago, and I don't remember it as vividly as I remember those things that happened to me when I was 10 and I was 13, except for the perception of the veil dividing. I didn't see what was behind the veil, but the veil went away, and from that moment I knew that I'd been right. See, what it did for me is it confirmed what I already knew, which is that there is something behind this reality, and I need to know what it is. And what I also learned from that, which was very important, and I was starting to say that Swami Kriyananda conceded as much this way, that um, I realized, see <laughs> I was odd in this respect. I had never even taken a sip of beer. <laughs> I was Jewish, so I probably had a sip of wine on a Passover or something like that, but I I'd never'd I'd never had I'd never done anything to my consciousness. LSD was the first thing I ever did, ever. And uh, so I didn't know that you could alter your consciousness with drugs. Um, But when I altered my consciousness with drugs, I suddenly realized, well, I'm going to quote from a master's poem, some um, master's book in Autobiography of a Yogi, in which he talks about an experience in cosmic consciousness and he talks about this extraordinary uh, universe, and he he just describes the cosmos all over the place, and he can see through walls, and he can feel the life force in everything. It's a fantastic chapter in the book, Autobiography of a Yogi. If you haven't read it, read it. And then um, he says, and I cognize the center of this empyrean, and I believe empyrean means heavenly vista, the center of this incredible cosmic vista, was a point of intuitive perception in my own self. And that's really quite something, because see, what happened to me in 1965, somewhere in Palo Alto, somebody's apartment, is that I realized if I changed my consciousness, the entire creation shifted. That... that creation depended entirely on the state of consciousness with which I viewed it. And so in my ordinary waking consciousness, you know, I was just seeing cars and buildings and houses and couches and the walls and the faces of my friends. I mean, that's, we all look around, we look in the mirror, we see our own faces, look at our clothes, we look at our teacup, you know, whatever it is, there it is. I just took a drug and my consciousness shifted and all those ordinary things just turned into shimmering light and they were translucent and transparent. It's just, I changed my consciousness, I changed everything. And that, that was all I needed. As I said, I, I dabbled a little bit longer, but I just needed that one experience. Change my consciousness, change everything. The center of the Empyrean, the, it, the center of the entire cosmos, it emanates from me. Not that I am the creator of the universe, but whatever level of consciousness I am on, that's what I perceive. So in in Master's story, and autobiography of a yogi, he shifted into uh, an infinite state of consciousness. All of a sudden he's looking at the same world, but it's infinite. He he sees it differently. He sees a cow making its way up the... the, um, narrow lane in front of his guru's ashram, and his whole relationship to the cow, he sees the cow completely differently. But it's a cow, he can still see it's there. But the whole reality of creation becomes something else when my, not just perspective, but when my level of consciousness changes. So I, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really interested in drugs. And I certainly wasn't interested in drug-induced experience. It just seemed chaotic to me. What I was interested in was changing my consciousness, because I I I got it. That was my lifelong search. I was 18 years old, 1965. There it was. I got it. And so, and then like nine months later, nine eight something like that, June of that year, I met some friends, people I hadn't people I hadn't I. one person I had known before, but I I was introduced to a circle of friends, and they were all studying meditation, and they were all studying Vedanta. And that's when they gave me these philosophical books, which said exactly what I had figured out, which is change your consciousness, you change everything, this world is not what it seems. And that was it. I mean, from that point on, I've basically done nothing else with my life, because it was from the age of 10, actually from the age of about three, I knew that it was inside of me, I just didn't know how to get there. So this is what, again, Swami's just talking about, to be fully aware. So this word aware is a very interesting word, and I've, I've often thought that um, all of personal growth, all of personal development is completely defined by the word awareness. Everything that we consider to be progress in our life is an increasing awareness. I mean, if I become a painter, it's because I become aware of how to use paint to make the picture that I want. If I become a wiser person, it's because I become aware of how my own actions implicate my own happiness and what I can do to be different. If I become a better parent, it's because I become aware of what my child needs from me. You can bring God into it if you want to, but you don't have to. It's just an ever-increasing awareness. And then the question comes, which is a very important question, is there any limit to how much I can expand my awareness? I mean, Master was asked that question, is there any end to evolution? He said, no. He said, we keep on evolving, evolving until we achieve endlessness. In other words, awareness can expand to infinity. So if you want to be fully aware, and then you have to, it's not just to be wide awake, but to be fully aware, then you have to see that there is a reality behind the apparent reality. And that is the avenue that we have to follow um, to, to become who we were meant to be. So let me read you again what Swami said. To be fully aware, look for the hidden reality behind all appearances."